Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Obituary early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. If you remember how powerful it felt to snap a hot pink razor flip phone shut after getting off the phone, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins Multi-Active Cream to your daily routine. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and C. holly bioextract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While multi-active creams can't bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can distress your skin. Clarins Multi-Active Cream is available online now. Go to clarins.com slash truecrime and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off. A free welcome gift plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. Clarins.com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. This episode is brought to you in part by June's Journey. Picture it. The glamour of the roaring 20s, wrapped in a mystery that only you can solve. Dive into June Parker's captivating quest to uncover scandalous family secrets. With your keen eye for detail, find hidden clues and solve mind-boggling puzzles. It's all about observation, intrigue, and drama. But beware, each clue leads deeper into a thrilling storyline filled with danger and romance. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Your adventure awaits. On this show, we cover some sensitive topics. Though the obituaries may be outlandish, the people are real. Names have been changed or omitted in order to respect both the deceased and the survived by. While death is no laughing matter, some petty last words can provide some pretty entertaining comic relief. Welcome to Obituary. back to obituary i'm spencer henry and i'm madison reyes how's it going geoffs happy thursday happy thursday we are very excited because right now we are gearing up to hit the road for our 2023 tour oh my god where are we gonna be planes trains and automobiles we are gonna be all around the united states all over babes might still be tickets in a city near you so check it out bituarypodcast.com get your tickets get them while they're hot we are so excited well they're lukewarm now (laughs) (laughs) they're not so hot anymore okay they're on the back of the stove please come grab them okay come on please (laughs) starving here we're gonna have to go to the motel six (laughs) 
You thought bunk beds was a choice at the beginning of this tour, but it's looking like that might be our only option, okay? Looking like we're going to have to check into a hostel. (laughs) (laughs) Can any of you host us in your cities? No, 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 no. Ticket sales are great. We're so excited that you guys are coming to the shows. And by the time this episode goes out, we'll just be on the road. Oh my God, be on the road. I'll be on an airplane. I hate to fly. You'll be a pro by the end of this. I better be because you told me I'm flying home alone one of these times. (laughs) Yeah, one of the flights I have to fly for something else. I have to go somewhere. And I was like, hey, by the way, when we leave this city, you're going to be on your own going back to LA. And you said, what? (laughs) I said, don't worry. I'll still hold your hand. I'll take you to the airport. You were like a dad. You were like, it's okay. Like, you won't be there without me. I'll get you there. We'll get you through everything. Uh Uh-huh. And if we need to, we can maybe ask them for a chaperone. Yeah. Because (laughs) you might need it. You know, like when you see, like, the kids. Yeah. I remember when I was, like, little, I had a friend who moved away. Their family moved to Arizona. And I would go out to visit. And, like, you'd get, like, a little neck necklace thing yeah said you did that yeah i flew by myself oh listen you just gotta do it you just gotta do it i know i'm really excited it's crazy because i feel like i mean you guys know we've been talking about it a lot we've been posting about it a lot the past two months but for us it's been a year-long thing that we've been waiting to like announce it and we've been waiting for this so it feels crazy that it's already here i know it does The last month of planning went by so fast. So fast. Like scary. Yeah, but we're not planning it too hard. I mean, listen, we know where to be and we know when we're going to get there. As far as what we're doing at these shows, just it's going to be chaotic, I'll say Oh, and which is why we are not having them recorded. (laughs) No, yes. This is a come see us, you're there or you're square, okay? Oh, I wish we could lock up their phones. You know how some places have the like yeah. bags? Yeah. That would be nice. Oh and my God. we could God. really get down really to it. Really let loose. <laughs> really be real. But if you want to hear us be really real. You can subscribe to our Patreon. You guys, we wanted to be able to talk to you guys more about anything and everything. Yes, we're uploading behind the scenes stuff where we have some fun little like kind of like mini episodes on there. Yeah. Things that we wouldn't necessarily talk about on the show. This is what happens when the mics turn off. This is where the conversations go. Hey, I might have to get on there and cry (laughs) if I'm on an airplane alone and need someone to talk to. (laughs) You're just recording for Patreon in the air. Like you guys, the person I'm sitting next to is really weird. No, the plan is to have Madison uh, drunk in some of these cities so that we can uh, get some nice little Patreon You know, recently, like, I don't really drink that much anymore, but if I'm on vacation without the kids, without the husband... I'm getting fucked up. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Not too <laughs> fucked up, though, because we still got a few more tour dates to get Oh, through. <laughs> yes, of course. All right. Okay. On to business. We have so many things to talk about. First of all, I saw there's this show. It's a new show called Not Dead Yet. Did you see this? Is this the obituary writer? Yes. Okay. Geoffs, I think we need you all to do something about this. There's this show that just came out. It's about a woman. I think it stars Gina Rodriguez. Mm-hmm who becomes an obituary writer and she like sees this ghost and it just 
I, I feel like we need to make a cameo on that show. Who do we know at ABC? Oh my God. Can the Geoffs get in the DMs of this show? Like, we need to make an appearance on a season. We do. A show about an obituary writer? Are you kidding Are me? Are you kidding me? We so, could have her on the show, on the show. Imagine, I know. I was like thinking of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> like, like we're like talking about one of the obituaries she writes on the show. Someone fucking write it in. Come on, I know. Come on. You guys, obituaries are taking over the world. Yeah, I think this is going to be like the year of obituaries. Okay, we've seen all different types of trends. And this year I'm calling it Pantone mm-hmm. subject of the year is mm-hmm. obituaries. Mm-hmm. I also saw there's a new movie. It's a rom-com coming out called 42.6. Did you see that? this? Okay, so Andy Samberg, you know, from like SNL and uh-huh. all of that, plays a guy who was cryogenically frozen. <gasps> He wakes up and he decides to track down his ex-girlfriend. But obviously she's so much older than him now because he was like, I don't think he died and was frozen, but I think he got cryogenically. Like opted uh-huh. to get frozen. Okay. And so he like comes out and it's like him tracking down his ex-girlfriend. No. Yeah, but he like, he looks the same as like when he went in. But yeah. yeah. So I'm really excited about that. I'm like, that's a mo- We'll go to the theaters for that one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, that'll be good. We won't wait for streaming. Really excited oh. about both of those. So there's already some episodes out, I think, of, I don't even know, the whole first season could be out of that first show, the Not Dead Yet one, but I haven't watched it yet. So I haven't either. Every time I see it, I look away a little. <gasps> Why? So I'm like, what? Obituaries? <laughs> feel protective. <laughs> yeah, I feel protective. I watched a movie this weekend. I thought it was going to be so stupid. We put it on and I am standing up yelling at the tv like you couldn't fucking pay me to do this like i was so into it <laughs> now i know why your dogs are always yelling at the i TV. know <laughs> they're like the tv's the enemy it was called fall uh-huh and i thought it was going to be one of those stupid movies it's like about these two girls that climb this radio tower and it's two thousand feet up in the air and shit happens they end up getting stuck up there and it's like their journey to figure out how the fuck they're gonna contact people they have no cell phone service there's nobody around it's like a small town they like hopped a fence to do this and it was fucking wild and i hate heights i saw you their just preview for it me i remember i was at the movies and the trailer came out for that and i remember watching it and like in a big theater seeing yeah. that at the top of it i was like <laughs> uh-huh yeah it, it looks good movies like that can be thrilling sometimes though when it's like just kind of like that one shot yeah type of movie like 127 hours is another one where you're watching oh and it's just God. like fuck yes but that one especially because you know it's a true what's story coming. yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, you know what? On Lifetime. So I don't actually watch that much TV, I would say. Mm -hmm. Not in a holier than that way. Just I don't have patience to (laughs) sit through things. You Uh know that. No, I know. But I watch a lot of Lifetime movies, especially when I'm like cooking dinner. That's just kind of my routine. Yeah. I was like, what's this show? It's called I Love You, But I Lied. Each episode Mm. is like an hour long. And it's Lifetime? Yeah. Craziest fucking... It's like reenactments of people's stories. (gasps) Fucking wild. Like what? I don't even think they're an hour long. They might be like 30 minutes long. Um, I watched one where it was this woman had been dating this guy. Mm -hmm. 
She goes to a bar and he like pulls out his driver's license or whatever to show the bartender and she grabs it from him like playfully joking and he had lied to her about his age. She found out. She was like in her late 30s and he was like 21, just turned 21. Uh Uh-huh. And she's like, what the fuck? Her friends that are there are like, what? That's so weird, but whatever. Like, come on. But one of her friends like, do you recognize his birthday? And the woman's like, no, I just was looking at like his picture and I saw the year. And she's like, no, he was born on September 30th. That's my wedding anniversary. Great. Well, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. The last time you changed your profile picture on Instagram. Last big thing to happen. Thank God we're going on tour oh no no but she's like his birthday is september 30th it turns out the woman had given a son up for adoption oh 21 years ago no who was born on the same day same year same town and they were flirting they were dating they had already been fucking everything fuck up so they like take a dna test it's not a match they're not related oh my god Thank God. Well, at the end of the episode, the camera cuts to him and he's like talking to the camera like firsthand. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I made my roommate do the DNA test for me because I was just too weirded out at the possibility. Stop. And this is real, but reenacted. Yeah. Oh my God. Fully could have been... Mother, mother and son. son. Which, speaking of, <laughs> we got we got to talk about hold it. Hold on, with hold on. That fucking new show that's out called Milf Manor. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I haven't watched it. Sons in their twenties and their mothers go on a dating show together. All the moms and all the sons, and they all date each other. It's a dating Ooh, show. That's weird. One of the I haven't watched it, but from what I hear, one of the first challenges is the mothers, they're blindfolded, have to touch the... Nope, I don't like where this is going. The son's bodies to figure out who's their son. And they have to stay in the same hotel room together. Are you fucking kidding me? I am not, like, I'm very much like, what's that, FCC? I'm like, okay, we can say fuck, we can whatever. Like, people are so scared of seeing things on tv and and they try to censor everything and like i'm not for that this i'm like censor this fucking shit it's gross ew it's disgusting i like low-key want to watch it just to be like i I need i feel like i need to see what this is about it's terrible maybe we'll watch it yeah (laughs) a little more incestuous than uh seventh heaven maybe (laughs) god oh anyway anyway Okay, we have two assholes, and I'm really excited for the second one. You'll see why. Okay. So the first one says, am I the asshole for telling my sister we would need to evict her to pay inheritance tax? (gasps) Hello, asshole enthusiast, which I love that (laughs) intro. My parents recently shared their last will and testament plans with us. The only asset they have of serious value is their house in London that they owned with a mortgage on it. More on this later. Rough estimates put value at about £600,000. The will states that the house is to be split between the three of us, myself and my two sisters. My older sister and myself both live in our own properties that we were only able to purchase thanks to financial assistance from our parents remortgaging their house to the tune of £70,000 and £35,000 each. 
this money is currently being paid back by my sister and myself. And the agreement is that if our parents pass away before the money is paid back, the remainder will come out of our share of the inheritance when the house is sold, which seems pretty standard. Mm -hmm. After hearing about needing to sell the house, when our parents pass, my little sister has gotten very difficult about the whole situation. It seems like it's come as a shock to her, despite this being the plan for the past six years or so. We only spoke about it verbally, and she was included in the discussions, but it seems as though now that it's in writing, it's more real for her. I mean, my parents are in their early 70s, so hopefully they won't pass for a number of years, but it is a possibility, and I thought it would be better to discuss it as a family before they pass. When we said, obviously we would need to sell the house to pay for the inheritance tax and the mortgage, etc., my little sister said she would not agree to that as she cannot afford to buy a house in London, and even with the money from the house sales, she may not be able to get a mortgage in London on her partner's salary alone because she doesn't work. I said, maybe you'll have to live outside London then, or get a job, thinking that was a sensible solution. I'd love to live in London, but I can't, so I moved outside. I'm actually happier for it now, but again, another story. My little sister flipped out saying that she has her life in London and her kids are in school in London and that she would not leave the house. I tried reasoning with her by saying how we will pay the inheritance tax on the house and she just said, I don't care how you do it, figure it out. But you can't sell the house with tenants in it unless they agree to leave and I will not agree to leave. So then my older sister and I said, as the two thirds majority in this scenario, we'll evict you. At this point, my little sister left the talks crying and hasn't spoken to either of us since. My parents think it was an asshole move to tell her that we would evict her, but I don't see any other option here and I'd rather discuss this before the event mm-hmm. so everyone knows the plan and has time to prepare for it reddit am i the asshole no i don't think so i mean i think it sucks that you have to have that conversation but it might be better to have it now and prepare her so she can start thinking about that maybe her parents will live till 100 and you know she won't have to deal with that i mean it's always a hard conversation part of me is like why are you having this conversation now mm-hmm. it feels like it will provoke her yeah i just feel like why do you need to have this conversation now it's also a sensitive subject that's true 70 is not crazy old i think that's definitely a time that you should be prepared to know what's coming but i also think everyone should have their wills figured out now no absolutely life is too unpredictable to just assume like oh i'll write my will when i'm 80 or i'll write my will when i'm 90 or even 70 or 60 or 50 you don't know Mm -hmm. and things get really messy but the little sister is kind of like a brat Uh uh-huh and I get it. You have your life there. Your kids are in school there and whatnot. That can't re- be a good feeling. No, yeah. that's really hard. But also, life is about making sacrifices sometimes. And I think if you had to move out of the city proper, then that's what you have to do sometimes. Yeah. And how much easier would it be? They're not kicking you out now. They're just saying, if and when this happens, this is what we're going to have to do yeah. to pay the inheritance tax. Now you have a heads up and can prepare and make a plan and maybe that day won't come for another 20 years yeah you don't know but also i'm like her siblings did get it sounds like down payment 
advances from their parents. Oh, that's true. But she, I think, says in this, like, even if she had that, her partner doesn't make enough money. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe you need to work that. I mean, people find that answer so offensive. Well, you might have to get a job, but, like, that's just the case sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to live a certain way or live in a certain area, sometimes you got to fucking work. Well, what's so special about that area? Like, why? I think they live in the city. She probably grew up there, like, doesn't want to have to move to a suburb that's not as nice, maybe, or maybe the schools aren't as good. But as Kim Kardashian says... No, that was too controversial. Nobody wants to work these days. Get your fucking ass up. Yeah, what did she say? Get your fucking ass up and work. Nobody wants to work these days. Get your fucking ass up and work. Uh, We would never say that. We would say on this show, con the system however you can. We did. Yeah. Okay, but then the second one got a DM from Geoff Gina yesterday that says, there's an update. On an Am I the Asshole that you did on obituary, here is the link. Bitch, this is an update on probably the one we've been the most heated over. This is about the woman whose husband had previously been married and she didn't want him going to the funeral. She's the one who was like, they would go watch their movies together and blah, blah, blah. Just a hater at her core. Even though the ex-wife was remarried and... Yeah. You and I went back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. We went back and forth about it because I think she was a total... Well, she was voted an asshole, but I think think she kind of cliff noted it (laughs) at the top of the episode. She said, I'll admit I'm biased right off the bat. I couldn't stand her. I call her his ex to myself and others. He called her his friends. We're all in our early 40s. She died recently of an aneurysm. I've been with him for 10 years now, but he'd known her for 20 plus. The way he tells it, they were friends in college, decided to date, got married, realized they weren't a great couple, decided to just be friends. All that happened years before I met him. He was clear early on that she was important. A couple of months into dating, it came up that his friend was actually his ex-wife. He explained the above to me, saying that she was one of his closest friends and that it was purely platonic. I think she mentions most of this in the first posting. I expressed some discomfort at him being so close to an ex. We, We remember this. And that's when this woman got super pissed because his ex passed away. And then he started helping his ex's new husband plan the funeral. Uh And she was like, you don't think you're going, do you? And got super jealous and weird about it and called her a ghoul. That was my Uh favorite part. So this is her update. She said, we've been together for 10 years, but he's choosing to end all of that because of how I reacted to his ex-wife's death. No. They were friends when we met, and his claim was that they had dated and gotten married while they were young and dumb before realizing they worked better as friends than a couple. He told me that if I wanted a relationship with him, I needed to accept that she'd be part of his life. He'd do things like go to geek movies with her and sometimes her husband. They'd do their tabletop gaming, all of which I found boring. So she goes a little more into detail on that this time. Mm. He and I had a mostly happy marriage, I thought, but I had to deal with her presence and pretending she and her husband were friends. I hated her, and when she died, I was relieved. I didn't want him going to the funeral, saying now that she was out of his life and he was done with her. He called me cold and callous for wanting to put my foot down. Yes, he went to the funeral, which I was very uncomfortable with. I asked him not to go again, and he just gave me this cold, expressionless stare. What do you mean, go again? What? (laughs) Died again? She was creepy 
cremated and my husband was given a little bit of her ashes. Oh, and they, she's That sent her gone. over the edge. Small urn the size of a pill bottle. And I told him it was creepy to have them and he flipped me off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm team husband. The past month plus of my life has been a nightmare because of her dying. My husband has barely talked to me and I've received texts from nearly all of our friends and family calling me a monster. All because someone saw my original post on Reddit and shared it with everyone they could. Even people at my job. <gasps> well, we're spreading okay, it even she, further. She honestly probably is a fucking nightmare. Many of the posts here were nice in comparison to the things people I thought my friends had said. I was just out of town for several days on a work trip. On Friday, I come home to a partially empty house. Oh, no. Oh, I have chills because I love it. His car gone and a petty sounding letter saying that we would be getting a divorce. <laughs> Not that he wanted one, that it was going to happen. He had already filed. He said that my post was one of the most hurtful things he's ever read. <gasps> And that my jealousy of his friendship was insane. He wrote, I fucking watched her die. She was walking <gasps> by my side when it happened. I have nightmares about it. Because remember, oh, he had gone to I lunch with chills. her. Remember, he went to lunch yes. with her. And she was like, well, now she's dead. He said, I'd be keeping the house because I don't want to spend every morning waking up to a reminder of the years of lies that was our marriage. Oh, he left a list of what he's taking, saying, I can keep the rest. His last line was, if it had been me instead of her, she'd have been there for you in an instant. Remember <gasps> that. Oh, I have the chills. I learned that he's actually staying with her husband because that man sent me a long text telling me to stay away from his home and he regretted ever letting me into his life. My own sister said if she learned I was dating someone, she'd fill him in on what a black-hearted cunt I am. Oh my God. So yeah, my husband is divorcing me because of his first wife's death. She's more important to him and it seems to our friends than keeping our marriage together is. She's screwing up my life even from the grave. <laughs> i say she got what's fucking coming and the yeah. fact that she can't even take a little bit of accountability here's the thing if i was her and i was in her position and i wanted the internet on my side because guess what she knows her family's gonna all see this one too if i wanted the internet and people in my life on my side i would be like partially blaming like i feel like i let my emotions get the better of me and i shouldn't have had yeah. this jealousy like say fucking something redeeming because this just makes you sound like it makes it sound nightmare. so well deserved i know i know it well does. deserved and i'm so happy the husband's out the first go around i was a little on her side like hey she said that this makes her uncomfortable if that's her husband like he needs to honor that yada yada and now it just kind of comes down to her character like a woman died and, and you're, you're just like fucking stomping on her grave i bet the woman who died is loving it she's like thank god <laughs> you're done with that bitch <laughs> she's probably like i had to die to get you away from her oh god i know i had a nightmare but i loved that update someone sent it to me and i like responded immediately I'm so bad at reading DMs on my like account, mm -hmm. but I saw it and I was like, holy shit. I responded right away. I was like, he left. He <laughs> left her. So thank you, Gina, for Aww. filling us in on that. And now he and the husband 
can grieve together and actually properly grieve. Yeah. Oh. So I think it's a happy ending. Yeah. And that woman needs to be with someone who doesn't even go out of the house. Yeah. And doesn't look at anybody, doesn't have friends, doesn't have exes, nothing. I think she should just be with Satan. (laughs) Perfect. She's the asshole. She's the asshole. What is adjourned? What's adjourned? We got our gavels here. And I think we may have some more. We'll see at the end of the show. I know. Well, I've got something heartwarming because my coffin spinner is not heartwarming. Okay. (laughs) All right. Hey, guys. First, I want to say how much I love your podcast. It feels like your best friends letting us in on your conversations. Well, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Especially your bouts of making each other laugh uncontrollably. Likewise, I want to let you into my world for a moment. My paternal grandfather passed away last month from leukemia, two weeks after my father's 50th birthday. The death was sudden, as he was unexpectedly given weeks to live, and then he passed three days later. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. I know. He and my grandmother shared 53 years of marriage together. When we traveled there for the funeral, a memory I'll cherish is reading my dad and aunt and uncle's report cards that he had kept, complete with teacher's notes and parents' responses. My dad has ADHD, as do I, and seeing the notes full of how he would get up and try to socialize during class in second grade, much like I did, was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) My grandfather wrote notes to the teacher telling her how he rewarded and disciplined his kids in response to the notes. Example, I'm happy to hear that Chris brought his grade in spelling up. We took him to Chuck E. Cheese as a reward. And the note for the next report card, thank you for letting us know about him distracting other students. We believe a strong foundation in education is important and learning self-control. He did not get a special reward this month. Please let us know if his behavior improves. My dad found this hilarious. The eulogies everyone gave were also reflective of their personalities as well as my grandfather's. My aunt, who is the youngest of them, who became a teacher, gave a list of words that her students used to describe her. Quirky, compassionate, kind, funny, smart, passionate. And then she said that these were also words to describe my grandfather. And he was the one to teach her these things. She broke down and my dad and uncle went up to hug her. Before all of this, it had been years since they'd all been together, so it was a beautiful moment. My uncle shared some random and funny phrases my grandfather uses, such as calling sneakers sneaky feet and a laptop lapatapa. <laughs> he always had a funny joke to tell or phrase to make us smile. And my dad, who always loved illustrations and visual lessons, brought four coffee mugs from my grandfather's house and explained how they summed up his dad. Education themed for his love of learning, a Bible verse mug for his faith, an American flag for his time in the Navy, and the Northern Lights for his relationship with our grandmother. Every time the northern lights were visible within a couple hours drive, he'd tell her he's taken her on a date and he'd drive them over to watch them together. Oh, that's so sweet. I know. Even after 50 years of marriage and when it was snowing, they still did that. Mm. 
I know that this is getting long, but I wanted to share a bit of his life to you guys. Your podcast prepared me a bit for the funeral, so I was less anxious about it. Mm. Thanks for all you do, and rest in peace, John May from Olivia. Yes, you can use my name. But I just thought it was sweet, and I thought it was cool. I've never been to a funeral where somebody brings up something visual, like his coffee mug. Yeah, add it to our list. I know. I think it's like a cool little gesture. So sweet. Thanks, Olivia, for sharing that and writing kind words to us. We got a new little funeral gesture. Maybe people can start incorporating. <laughs> yeah. And rest in peace to John May. John May, may you be with the Northern Lights. Yes. And same. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm up first this week, Spencer, which means... We need a side bitch from you. Well, baby, I got one. You'll notice a theme <laughs> throughout my entire episode today. Okay. My entire, all my portions. Uh, a little 1920s theme. Ooh. And this first obituary came from the 20s. It's got everything. It's got a flapper. It's got the, <laughs> the bluntness uh-huh. of a 1920s. Well, I guess this wouldn't even be considered an obituary, more of a death notice. And Mm -hmm. it says, couldn't be flapper, dies. Couldn't be flapper? Yeah. Chicago, Illinois. Well, listen to this. Other girls in her classes rolled their stockings, had their hair bobbed, and called themselves flappers. And so she wanted to be a flapper too. But her mother was an old-fashioned mother who kindly but firmly said no. So she put a rubber hose in her mouth and (gasps) turned on the gas. What? That is the story behind the suicide of Ruth Hornbaker, 14-year-old high school girl of Berwyn. She died in the home of her father, Albert Hornbaker. What? That's the death notice. Her mom wouldn't let her be a flapper, so she fucking killed herself. That was a shady-ass... Notice. Notice. (laughs) No. Couldn't be. Other girls her age had perfect bobs and rolled their stockings up and she couldn't do it. Her mom wouldn't let her. But it says the old-fashioned mother kindly but firmly said no. It's like, okay. Oh, please. Oh, the audacity. Oh, my God. Many little side bitch, but I I read it and I was shocked. Shocked. Oh, my God. Wow. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hear what you had to uh, spin it in your coffin. All righty. We'll be right back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. 
So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. And we're back. What had you spinning in your coffin this week, my girly, 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 girly. <laughs> Gully, gully, gully. <laughs> Rock on, babe. Oh, my God. So in the Oh, Bitch, The Last of Us episode, I talked about zombies. Yes, you did. The mushroom ants sticking their heads out of their bodies. Oh, God. <laughs> I'll never Crazy. forget. And I kind of, at the end of that episode, teased like, oh, I want to talk about this other form of a zombie. And that's what I'm going to do today. And it is a wild ass fucking ride, Spencer. I've been wanting to talk about this since I saw a documentary on it like 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was like, I'm going to talk about this on my podcast. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I was looking at you. I'm like, okay. I'll go with it. Okay, sure. hey. We don't know when this episode's coming out. You never know. It could come out in 10 years. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. So on Vice, I remember, what was it? It was like Hamilton's Pharmacia or something. It was the show. He would like travel around and learn about different drugs. And so the documentary dives into the world of Haitian zombies. Is it kind of like Karoo type vibes? Mm, not- like the brain eating bacteria and... Yes and no. Okay. We'll, we'll get into it. In the beginning of the documentary, they reference this woman named Zora Neale Hurston. And so I dove into her life first. She was an anthropologist, an author, a folklorist who in 1936 traveled to Port-au-Prince to study voodoo and hoodoo practices. This was just one of the many really important and fascinating things that she has done. And I encourage everybody to look her up because it's all pretty fascinating. She was there for six months. She was sent there on like a sponsorship. Some like philanthropist paid for it to study everything. And so she goes. She ended up gaining trust from different voodoo priests. And the only time voodoo was introduced to America at this point was through a book called The Magic Island in 1922, which was written by a white man. And then a lot of white soldiers had like, you know, there were there was all these myths and and whatnot about voodoo. But that book described voodoo in a super racist, extremist way. And Zora wanted to be able to explain it in a more serious, more complex way and show that it wasn't what the Magic Island had described. Like it's part of culture versus just like a gimmicky thing that people practice. Totally. And so Zora quickly realized that the practice of voodoo was just as formal and valid as any other religion. In an article from PBS.org, they say it perfectly, quote, trying to summarize voodoo, Hurston said, was like explaining the planetary theory on a postage stamp. She impressed upon her sponsor the religion's sophistication. It is as formal as the Catholic Church anywhere. I thought that was interesting because I only know of voodoo as this either like scary thing or it is depicted in movies, 
as something scary and foreign. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought about it kind of like a different version, I guess, of paganism. Uh-huh, or and like witchcraft. Yeah, yeah, I've always thought about it more in that realm, but I also know that it's got like, it's like deep-rooted mm-hmm. in certain cultures, mm-hmm. and it's not like a, oh, it's <laughs> it's only New Orleans, you get like no, a, yeah. a voodoo doll or anything. I feel like most right. people, when they hear voodoo, probably think of like a voodoo doll right. or like you were saying kind of like this cartoonish version or caricature of what it actually is right right so I say all that to say because I do want to make a disclaimer like there are a lot of beautiful things that I've learned about it and then we are going to talk about something much more extreme but like any religion there's you know extreme I mean you go to a fucking what is it what are the tent revivals that you talk about tent revival okay you go to that and you're like what the fuck is this like preaching like fire and brimstone the most extreme version of right christianity quote unquote christianity everyone takes it and they turn it into something different right right so yeah so that's that's my disclaimer guys i respect it i was reading an article on medium.com and i'm gonna link it because i encourage you guys to read it but it says quote religion depended on categories Hurston was coming to realize the sacred and the profane, the ethereal and the earthbound, the miraculous and the commonplace. In Manhattan and Eatonville, New York and Florida, there were only two boxes, the living and the dead. But Haitians had added a third, a way of being neither one nor the other, or perhaps both at the same time. Oh. Zombie. Or as Seabrook spelled it in the Magic Island, zombie. Is that where like the words derived from? From Haiti. No shit. Mm -hmm. In Haiti, talk of zombies seeps over the country like a ground current of cold air, it says. She encountered zombie legends nearly everywhere she went. People would talk of zombies the way one might mention the weather or an upcoming wedding, if perhaps in a quieter tone. The stories about zombies were everywhere there. So did she see a zombie? That's what I wanted to know. Well, yes, she did. So Zora met a woman during her stay named Felicia Felix Mentor. Felicia was once a really beautiful and lively woman. She and her ex-husband worked in a grocery store together where they managed it. She had a son. She had, you know, just a simple but beautiful life. So she met, sorry, just to clarify, she met her while she was like visiting, like when she had, in the 1930s? In 1936. Okay. She meets... Felicia. The day that Zora met her in 1936, Felicia was in a hospital facility and she was just a shell of what she once was. She appeared to have some sort of brain damage. She didn't really speak. She just mumbled. She seemed like super terrified and she wore a cloth over her head. This is because Felicia died in 1907. She had a funeral, a burial, Her family mourned her. Her husband remarried and moved on. Her son went almost 30 years without his mother. So I guess in 1936, Felicia turned up naked, roaming around a farm that used to be hers, that was now her brother's. He saw her and confirmed that it was, in fact, really her. Her ex-husband confirmed that it was her. No one knew what to do, and she was definitely not herself and couldn't take care of herself, so they put her in the hospital. What the fuck? Did she just go missing so they assumed she was dead and had a funeral for her? No. 
Doctors believe that she had probably been poisoned by some sort of concoction or dark magic that made it appear that she was dead, like down to like you couldn't even hear a heartbeat. Then she must have been summoned back to life after burial. And no one knows if she was buried the whole time or she rose from her burial plot and wandered around for 30 years. But Zora took photos of her and one of them ended up in Life magazine as like the first zombie. Zora wanted to keep studying Felicia and figure out like what the fuck happened? What was going on in those 29 to 30 years that you were gone? But Zora and- I mean, not buried. She wouldn't have survived. I mean, who knows? Zora wanted to do that in like extender stay and she got super ill and had to go back home and was like, I'm not fucking with this anymore. Like it's time to go home. Oh. But Zora believed that any potion or concoction that would simulate death like this and do something like it did to Felicia must be extremely guarded and no one would probably ever want to reveal it. And then in 1962, and this is all documented, it's fucking wild, Spencer. A man named Clairvis Narcisse was having body aches and was running a fever and his lips were turning blue and he was like tingly all over. So he decided to go to the hospital where he was admitted and he was diagnosed with pulmonary edema, hypotension, and respiratory problems. A few days later, still in the hospital in Haiti, he was pronounced dead and the two physicians who were tending to him were witnesses to this as well as one of his sisters who certified his death certificate. And again, this is all documented. He was then buried by his family and he has a grave. You can see pictures of it. 18 years later, one of his sisters is out in the market and sees him. No. Approaching her. And he looks like dead in the eyes. The fuck? She screams, but he like tries to prove to her like, I am your brother. And he uses a childhood nickname that like nobody would know. And she was like, fuck. But then still the whole family investigated and it really did turn out to be him. And he's done a few interviews and he says that he remembers everything. He remembers not being able to communicate or move. He remembers doctors pulling a sheet over him and saying that he was dead. He remembers his funeral. He has a scar that was left on his cheek from a coffin nail. When they were nailing the coffin, it got him in the cheek. And he still has a scar on the cheek. He also remembers that shortly after he was buried and everyone had gone home, a voodoo priest or sorcerer dug him up and woke him up out of his trance. And he was forced to work on a sugar plantation as a slave for this sorcerer. And he says it was awful and unimaginable. And he was constantly drugged with whatever potions this sorcerer was giving. There were a ton of other zombies there working as slaves too, and the sorcerer died two years after, but he stayed away from the family for the other 16 years because he believed that his brother was the one who sought out voodoo on him because of some like sort of land dispute, and he wanted him to die first before contacting the family just to be safe. And I'll post a picture of him sitting on his own grave because he like goes back and and this was in the it. 60s? Yeah. Fuck. No, this is 80s now. Oh my God. Yeah. 
Harvard Magazine says, quote, Legend has it that zombies are the living dead raised from their graves and animated by malevolent voodoo sorcerers, usually for some evil purpose. Most Haitians believe in zombies, and Narcisse's claim is not unique. At about the time he reappeared in 1980, two women turned up in other villages saying they were zombies. In the same year, in northern Haiti, the local peasants claimed to have found a group of zombies wandering aimlessly in the fields. But Narcisse's case was different in one crucial respect. It was documented. So now, years later, we have some answers. The Vice documentary interviews a Harvard ethnobotanist named Wade Davis, and Wade also traveled to Port-au-Prince to investigate the Haitian zombie. In 1985, he documented all of this in his book, The Serpent and the Rainbow, and he studied under this man named Richard E. Schultz, who was, in Wade's words, the man who sparked the psychedelic movement. Wade mentions Clairvius Narcisse and his unbelievable story. And Richard asks Wade if he would like to go to Haiti and try to find the formula to whatever is making these zombies. And Wade says in this documentary, there are lots of plants and lots of animals that are poisonous and that can kill you. We weren't just looking for a toxin that could kill. We were looking for a toxin that could bring on a state of apparent death so profound that it would bring someone literally to the edge of death a threshold from which they could never recover. Well, Wade secured the formula. And I have it for you guys. Oh. Before I tell you, we've got a little more to cover. Wade was introduced to a voodoo sorcerer named Marcel Pierre. He negotiated with him and finally got him to give him a sizable amount of this powder. Wade spent the day with him and watched him as he made the poison, possibly responsible for the zombification of people. Everything that Wade saw him mix in the concoction, he knew from his studies, could not induce these zombie effects. So a few weeks later, Wade went back to him and he was super upset and pretended to rub the powder on him. And Pierre was like, you're a fucking dead man. Like, why did you do that? It is real. The powder was real, but thank God Wade didn't touch it on his skin. But Marcel liked this and agreed to show him exactly how it was made. And in Harvard Magazine, that same article, I want to read a snippet because it explains the ingredients and just how fascinating it is. Quote, the powder which Davis keeps in a small vial looks like a dry black dirt. It contains parts of toads, sea worms, lizards, tarantulas, and human bones. To obtain the last ingredient, he and Pierre unearthed a child's grave on a nocturnal trip to the cemetery. The poison is rubbed into the victim's skin. Within hours, he begins to feel nauseated and has difficulty breathing. A pins and needles sensation afflicts his arms and legs, then progresses to the whole body. The subject becomes paralyzed. His lips turn blue for lack of oxygen. Quickly, sometimes within six hours, his metabolism is lowered to a level almost indistinguishable from death. As Davis discovered, making the poison is an inexact science. Ingredients varied in the five samples he eventually acquired, although the active agents were always the same, and the poison came with no guarantee. Davis speculates that sometimes instead of merely paralyzing the victim, 
the compound kills him. Sometimes the victim suffocates in the coffin before he can be resurrected, but clearly the potion works well enough, often enough, to make zombies more than a figment of Haitian imagination. Analysis of the powder produces another surprise. When I went down to Haiti originally, says Davis, my hypothesis was that the formula would contain concombre zombie, which is the zombie's cucumber, which is a detura plant. I thought somehow detura was used in putting people down. Detura is a powerful psychoactive plant found in West Africa as well as... It's also the name of those fucking essential oils. <laughs> well, that's doTERRA, yeah. <laughs> it goes on to say, there was a lot of problems with the detura hypothesis, partly because it was a question of how the drug was administered. And then it goes on and says, one of the ingredients Pierre included in the second formula was a dried fish. And you guys listen because this is it. A species of puffer or blowfish common to most parts of the world. Those are so poisonous. So poisonous. It gets its name from its ability to fill itself with water and swell to several times its normal size when threatened by predators. Many of these fish contain a powerful poison known as tetrodotoxin, one of the most powerful non-protein poisons known to man. Tetrodotoxin turned up in every sample of zombie powder that Davis acquired. And then it goes on to say numerous well-documented accounts of puffer fish poisoning exist, but fugu fish, a species of puffer fish, is considered a delicacy. In Japan, special chefs are licensed to prepare fugu. The chef removes enough poison to make the fish non-lethal, yet enough remains to create exhilarating physiological effects, tingles up and down the spine, mild prickling of the tongue and lips, euphoria. Several dozen Japanese die each year having bitten off more than they should have. So we think it could be the puffer fish that is like, what is doing it? Wow. Wade is like the person who has gotten the closest as an outsider to proving that this is the formula. But he does say in order for some things to work... There are certain beliefs that you need to have. And so it's a really interesting conversation of like cultural and religion, but also medical, like medicinal. Uh Okay, but back to the Vice documentary and I'll end here. Wade talks about his time in Haiti trying to secure the formula from local practitioners. And in all of his studies, something kept coming up about a secret society in Haiti. Like who was doing this zombification? The Bizongo Champwell is who he kept mentioning. In a quote from that documentary, they explained the Bizongo Champwell. Not long after voodoo was recognized by whites, they began to fear its power. Slaves found practicing voodoo were harshly punished or killed. Some slaves escaped their masters and formed colonies in the mountains where they could practice their religious beliefs and live freely. They're known as the Maroons. It was the Maroons who organized the first small-scale slave uprising, which culminated with the Bois Caiman voodoo ceremony in which All in attendance who vowed to kill their white masters were anointed with the blood of a slaughtered pig. The ceremony sparked the beginning of the 1791 Haitian Revolution, led by Toussaint Levoucher, and established Haiti as the first independent black republic. 
it was the Maroons who later became the Bazongo secret societies. And so they interviewed the head of the Bazongo and the supreme chief of Haitian voodoo, Max Beauvoir. He started as a scientist and then studied plants in Haiti. And he explains zombification, and I've never heard it explained like this, but he says, as something that's spiritual and not physical, and a zombie is someone who has misbehaved, he says, in most places, maybe like a criminal and most likely in other societies, they would be condemned to death. However, voodoo doesn't believe in killing, but some crimes are intolerable. And so they just remove the desire to commit bad deeds. Mm. So they link it back to that story of Claire Voice, who was gone for 18 years. He did something bad and his brother contacted these secret societies and they punished him. Fuck. Wild journey. It's a wild journey and it's long and there's so many things that I had to leave out just for time's sake, but those are like the highlights. Something I do need to add is that it's highly illegal to turn anybody into a zombie and in Haiti, it's on par with murder. So Mm. just so you know. Thank you for clarifying. But that puffer fish. Man, it'll get ya. It'll get ya. Well, it was used in decor so much, I feel like in the 50s and 60s. No, like a tiki bar. I know a lot of people that have them in their homes. Uh huh. But I've always known that they're very poisonous. Well, and I know that it's a delicacy. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was like a very famous movie where there's like a scene of them eating puffer fish. Because you can eat it, but then like if it like starts swelling up or whatever. It has to be prepared. A certain way. Yeah. They want to take just enough poison out so that you still get these like medicinal effects. Like euphoric. Mm-hmm. Huh. Wild. Who knew? Wild. Zombies. I feel like I've heard about a lot of things that allude to this, and I actually feel like there's some, like, uh, old punk songs that I feel like mention, like, Haitian zombies and stuff. Okay. So it's interesting to hear, like, the backstory and the origins of just the word zombie itself. Like, I where, know. Where the fuck did that come from? Yep. Who knew? Well, thanks, Zora, for really figuring it out. I know. She's awesome. The MVP. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll be back. <laughs> Bring us back to the word 20s. <laughs> Sorry, <like> guys. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. Considering a master's in forensic science, but juggling family and work, the University of Florida Forensic Science Online Graduate Program is your solution. Tailored for working pros, this entirely online program fits seamlessly into your schedule. Crafted with FBI and law enforcement input, the curriculum equips you with skills to elevate your career. Join over 1,500 graduates who earned their master's since 2000. Specialize in forensic toxicology, DNA and serology, forensic drug chemistry, or create your plan with an MS in forensic science. Advance your career with a master's. No need to rearrange your life. It's online, interactive, and built for professionals like you. No GRE required. Network with forensic pros globally. Ready for the next chapter? Join the world's largest forensic science program and alumni network at forensicscience.ufl.edu slash Wondery. Your journey begins at the University of Florida. Whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, Liquid IV quenches your thirst faster than water alone. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, all in a single sugar-free stick. Liquid IV is perfect for daily use before a workout. When you feel run down, after a long night out, or on long flights. Basically, anytime you need a pick-me-up, however you hydrate. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco. Or get 20% off your first order 
when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WONDERY at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WONDERY at liquidiv.com. And we're back from the grave. We're back from the grave. And yeah, we're taking it back to the 1920s. Well, I guess part of your story took place in the 20s. Yeah, 30s. Yeah. Well, the original book you talked about, that was from the 20s, right? right. So come on. We've got a common theme. I'm tying it all together. You're right. You're right. (laughs) Okay. My coffin spinner's a little all over the place this week. We don't have a cohesive story. Who cares? Just (laughs) we're a little all over the place ourselves. (laughs) No, but I wanted to. Well, there's one part of this that I wanted to read in particular, but I was going through the newspaper archives. Then I came across this other thing that also took place in the 20s, but it wasn't, they're not related, but they all involve obviously like funerals and, you know, I kept it on brand. Yeah. Uh, but I saw this advertisement that I loved that I'll start us off with, which is from the, uh, a 1922 article. And it says, Morgan Funeral Home gets electric sign, which was like, cool. <laughs> news. And it said, the Morgan Funeral Home has installed an Elliott Cloud neon display, the latest development in electrical signs. The Ooh. sign prepared for the Morgan Funeral Home is of simple design and colored a dark blue. The lettering on these signs is formed of glass tubing and the work of expert glass blowers. Two distinguishing qualities of these signs are their visibility by day as well as night <gasps> and, the, and the continuity of light in the design. Ooh, now everyone has. You can go get a, <laughs> one from Target. Yeah, isn't that? I, I just like, that's the kind of shit that, like, that I would have been interested in before even doing this show or anything is just yeah. seeing cool old articles like that where it's like, it's like, okay, we love celebrating the little things. Uh-huh. And we don't do enough of it these days. I know. No one talks about a new sign. No. Well, you know what I love? And it's something I've told you this before, I'm sure. But I have like, I get like a little newspaper that's just for my specific area that yeah, I live in. I love that. And it talks about like the happenings. And, mm-hmm. I, and I just, I do love that so much. Yeah. Like, it will literally be like, store gets new <laughs> like signage out yeah. front. I love it. I know. I know. Those it's are like, exciting. The simple things feels like, yes. like Pleasantville or yes. whatever. And then I found another really cool one that I want to post a picture of. But it says, Doors Funeral Car, finest in this section. It says, we bury the dead almost daily. Why do we keep busy? Because we sell coffins at live and let live prices. <laughs> That's Ooh. literally the advertisement but it's like a cool oh my god how also cute. from the 1920s little yeah funeral car uh-huh and i just thought it was so cute i'm like i want to get a little tattoo of it <laughs> you should a little funeral wagon uh-huh why not okay but the main article that i wanted to read and this will be like kind of like the longish part this is kind of the meat of my coffin spinner was this article that i came across and the imagery is beautiful but there's just so much going on i, I want to just show you what it looks like just it's very Ooh, pretty. Very pretty looking. And this is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, February 1st, 1925 edition of the Pittsburgh Press. And it says, why you should select your own coffin now. Unpleasant discoveries and distressing experiences of Mrs. George Randolph Chester, wife of the famous novelist, when she suddenly found herself a widow and distracted with grief, began to look at caskets and arrange for a funeral. Mm-hmm. 
George Randolph Chester, the well-known novelist and author of Get Rich Quick Wallingford, died unexpectedly a few months ago, and Mrs. Chester suddenly found herself a widow with a dead loved one in the house, funeral arrangements to be made, and a thousand things pressing for attention. And then it was that the widow came face to face with some surprising discoveries and most disagreeable experiences. In her grief and desolation, she was in no condition of mind to consider many things which, after the funeral was over and the undertaker's bill came in, roused her indignation and persuaded her to go around and consult her lawyer, Saul Myers. Better call Saul. Better call Saul, baby. Death is an unwelcome thing to contemplate, and like other disagreeable things, most people postpone any arrangements for it until the blow falls. True. But in the light of Mrs. Chester's experience and the experience of many, many others, it would seem to be a matter of common sense and prudence to pick your casket, make your arrangements with an undertaker in writing, and arrange your funeral details before death intervenes. This article stands the test of time. Really? Well, after the funeral was over and Mrs. Chester had recovered somewhat from the shock of the death of her devoted husband, she began to regain her poise and as she examined the undertaker's bill, she was filled with indignation. Mm. They had charged her (gasps) $6,500 for the casket. In the 20s? In the 20s. How much is that? In the 1920s, it would be equivalent to almost $90,000. What? Just for the casket. What the fuck? More than a big, high-priced new limousine automobile, it says. (laughs) Surely this was beyond all reason. Running her eye down through the other list of items, several things seemed to her preposterously high. There was $300 for a white silk embroidered slumber robe. It was not worth any such price, she was sure. This was the undertaker's bill with all its items. So it has an itemized list Mm -hmm. of everything that the undertaker had charged her for. Mm -hmm. The casket was $6,500. Outside case and handles, $150. Embalming, $100. Casketing and dressing, $25. Hearse, $25. Limousine, $15. Pallbearers, six of them, $60. Removing body to church and 1970 Broadway, motor and men, $50. Death notice, $58. Railroad tickets, $144. Clergy fee, $20. Palm decoration, $60. Funeral director and assistance, $35. General service charges, including two transcripts and telegrams, $250. A spray of red roses, $100. The embroidered robe for $300. Dr. Perone, invoice to Mrs. Chester for professional services rendered, $10. Two dozen red roses at $8. Clergy fee, $30. An excess weight, $13.53, bringing the total bill to $7,972.17 in 1925. That's $100,000. Over $100,000 at this point. What? Isn't that? Well, at least close to. Fucking insane. That's six figures. I mean, funerals are expensive now. Don't get me wrong. They can be easy 30, 40 grand. Yeah. But back then, especially, 6,500 for a casket would send you What? 
So it says the undertaker had managed by piling up one charge after another to make that funeral cost Mrs. Chester just under $8,000. Thinking back over those days of heartbroken grief, immediately after her husband's death, Mrs. Chester remembered that the undertaker had asked her to sign a paper of some kind. She had an insurance policy on Mr. Chester's life for $25,000, and the undertaker's representatives had induced her to sign over the amount of $8,000 to the undertaker to cover the funeral expenses. So they like made it add up to $8,000. What? In her distraction of mind and grief, Mrs. Chester did this. Thus, she paid in advance to the undertaker the sum of $8,000, and when the bill came in, as reproduced above, the undertaker had managed to eat up the whole of that $8,000, except for $27.83. Wow. The more she thought of the matter, the more she felt she ought not to put up with the charges made for the coffin and the funeral, and that no one would resent it more than her own husband if he were alive. Mm -hmm. The facts were gone over, an investigation was made, and Mrs. Chester brought suit against the undertaker to recover the sum of $6,543. Good for her. They investigated the cost of the coffins and other things and concluded that a fair price for the coffin and the services rendered at the funeral amounted to $1,429 instead of $7,972. So this made an overcharge, according to Mrs. Chester's lawyer, of $6,543, and this was the amount she sued for. Mrs. Chester presented her side of the matter in the following statement. My husband was taken ill very suddenly about 4.30 in the morning. I phoned to the man at the desk to call a doctor, but Mr. Chester was already gone. The shock seemed to stupefy me. I couldn't think. I didn't know what I was saying or doing. Policemen came. I I don't know what questions they asked or what they did. I couldn't grasp what had happened. My husband had never been ill. That very day, he had joked about being too healthy. Mr. Schultz, the apartment superintendent, called my parents on long distance down in Ohio. They told me I must have an undertaker, but all I could think of now was Lavinia, my maid, who had been with me for 12 years. I didn't know what to do without Mr. Chester and Lavinia. Mr. Schultz said that he would send a taxi for her, but that I must get an undertaker right away. They recommended one who would take care of everything nicely, and by the time Lavinia arrived... They had arranged everything. In the afternoon, a man from the undertakers called to see me about selecting a casket. Lavinia and a former maid of ours, Ella Reed, were with me at the time. I just like, it's kind of crazy to picture this like glamorous, wealthy woman with like her two maids Uh showing up like, My husband's dead. What do I do? In the 1920s especially. Uh I didn't want my husband put into a gruesome casket. I wanted him to look just as if he were asleep. One of the maids spoke of a couch casket to the man, but he advised against it, as it was inappropriate for men. <laughs> you can't oh, be comfortable in what's death. A couch casket. <laughs> he showed me photographs of the kind I should have for a man with dignity and in, in the position of Mr. Chester. Lavinia mentioned something of a metal casket, but he told her I wouldn't want that. It was imitation. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was doing. My husband had always attended to business. I knew nothing of business. I never even carried a pocketbook. I never bought so much as a handkerchief that he wasn't with me. We were never separated. I was never alone. I had never been around death. I remember telling all of this to the man, and in looking through the booklet, he pointed out one that I liked, but he said I didn't want that one. It was too expensive. Oh, uh, your trick! You don't tell a woman like Mr. Chester she can't afford it. 
Oh, reverse psychology. Uh-huh. I don't know what price he quoted. I couldn't seem to decide on anything, and he suggested that I come up to The Undertaker's. It would be better than looking over a book. He also suggested moving Mr. Chester up there because our apartment was practically unfurnished. They had nice parlors, and I could stay up there, and our friends could visit, and it would look better for Mr. Chester. I didn't believe Mr. Chester would like that. He would rather be in his own home, because again, it's the 1920s, so people still kept their loved ones in their home until it was time to like remember yes he would rather be in his own home he had such pleasure in our little bungalow on the roof i had not eaten or slept although i had taken medication to put me to sleep okay <laughs> uh, we know those 1920s pills <laughs> i know like horse tranquilizer uh-huh, they'll put you out you'll be a zombie mm-hmm. um a friend of mr chester's who was attending to the reporters and publicity and such matters for me had advised mr schultz the evening before to send for my doctor i was under such nervous tensions he feared for me i couldn't seem to concentrate nor think nor talk rationally i've always been extremely nervous and somewhat delicate of health and my physical condition worried my parents very much they went with me up to the undertakers and they showed us several caskets they may have told me prices but i don't remember i can't remember much of anything at that visit for as i looked in the at the casket and thought of my husband everything else was a blur and then she talked about going and and getting the casket and you know finally agreeing on one and how he took the payment. The suit never came to trial and a settlement was made with Mrs. Chester outside of court. Mm. Her friends have said that the undertaker gave back to her the sum of $5,250, which was quite a large part of that bill. While Mrs. Chester's lawyers were preparing their case and looking up the facts, they made some curious discoveries. One strange thing is that there are 10 undertakers for every death per day. With 10 undertakers struggling to get each funeral, it might be thought that this tremendous competition would result in competitive prices, but it turns out that the revenue is true. Each undertaker averages to get so few funerals that he must make an enormous profit when he does get one. There's one undertaker to 44 deaths in a year. Some undertakers get more than their share, but less than one funeral a week is the average for each. Mm. So he must make enough money from one business operation to pay his rent, office expense, his assistance, and his own profit. They can do this sometimes by swelling the prices. Funerals, which up to 10 years ago cost $175, now cost $600. Ah, mm. oh, well, you can't even get a carton of eggs for that. I know. Oh, my God. Something, however, can be done to ensure a fair deal by comparing the prices of half a dozen undertakers before the hour of distress arrives. A casket can be selected and a price agreed upon in writing and upon much more reasonable terms if the negotiations are made before the hour of sorrow arrives. The other items in the cost of the funeral can be discussed and decided on much more advantageously when the undertaker realizes that he is bidding in competition with other estimates. But like, okay, so I feel for her, right? I do feel like they took advantage, like they knew that her husband was this famous author and Mm -hmm. but there's some things that I'm like, I feel like she wanted this extremely elaborate thing because this is a large life-size wax figure of one guy that she saw that she liked at a funeral. Like she wanted to maybe do something similar for him, I guess. Oh, they had like models of what could be done. Uh Well, yeah, no, they had, um, 
there's like this one funeral home director. His name uh, was Michael Marlowe. And at his funeral home, during his funeral, there was like this big wax sculpture of him erected. So I feel like this was like kind of like an elaborate. So she had a wax sculpture of her husband made? She wanted to, but I, I, she didn't actually do it. Okay. But I feel like she, I mean, you shouldn't take advantage of people in their moments of grief, but I definitely feel like. Based on her storytelling, like, she seems kind of out of, like, I don't think she was in touch with the people of the day. I think she was, like, this rich woman who wanted to have a really nice funeral for her husband. Yeah. And didn't want to actually pay for it. Yeah, but they took six times... They counted it up and it should have been like a thousand dollars. They charged her six, almost seven. But times also, that. I'm like, they could have been like, wood only costs this much. But yeah. really, like, caskets are made. She from- hit all the upgrades. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. God. I just like got entranced by that article earlier and I was reading that and that was like one of the first things to bring me to the 1920s. But then I have a few more like little newspaper clippings that I wanted to read. <laughs> this one from September 13th of 1929 that says Undertaker fined for flat tires. This happened in Chicopee, <laughs> Massachusetts on September 13th. John McCauley, Undertaker, arrested on a charge of wantonly injuring personal property by using an embalming needle. <gasps> so this Undertaker used an embalming needle on automobile tires. What? When found guilty, his arrest followed an epidemic of flat tires. Why? I think he was using them to, because initially when I first read it, I was like, oh, was he filling them up with these needles? But I think he was like doing this to people. Like this undertaker was going around popping people's tires with an embalming needle. Dumb ass. Dumb ass. Okay, but also I found a lot of things related to the prohibition during this time. Okay. A lot of funeral homes like undertakers would store alcohol. Dry agents find stills in coffin. Chicago undertaker arrested, 27 gallons seized. In Chicago on August 28th, Thomas Barrasco, a Westside undertaker, was arrested by prohibition agents who found 27 gallons of whiskey in his basement and two stills in a coffin. Wow. So they were just hiding alcohol. Well, you never, you'd probably never think to look in the coffin. I love it, though. <laughs> I also like wonder how people got caught. Rats. You think people like ratting him out? Yeah. Because I'm like, how would you know? Stumbling away from this. Like people are visiting this funeral home a lot. I know. (laughs) There's zombies walking around. And then I saw another article from the Pittsburgh Sun from April of 1929 that says honoring the dead extravagance does not do it. And it's like a little like expose on like why you shouldn't. It says Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdix New Church known in New York as the Rockefeller Church will install a mortuary chapel where the dead may rest until relatives select an undertaker. Mm. This is said to be part of a drive against unscrupulous funeral directors who prey on bereaved families. Ooh. Something should be done to make the poor realize that they do not honor the dead when they impoverish themselves with ostentatious funerals, hiring unnecessary mourning automobiles that often go empty to the graveyard, and spending money they can't afford on flowers that the corpse does not see. To show respect for the dead, do what the dead would want you to do. 
they would not want extravagance or waste. True. Can't speak for all of the dead. We know a lot of them who want that. I have two more little clippings. One was from April 15th of 1920. And it says, Undertaker is arrested Wednesday on charge of fraud. He defrauded the relatives of a deceased man out of money (laughs) by disrespectful burial. Okay, but wait. It says a prominent Undertaker in Pitcher, whose name is said to be Todd, is reported to be arrested on a charge of fraud. He is charged... Charged in in the complaint on which the warrant for his arrest was issued with having defrauded the relatives out of money that they paid him for giving the body a respectable funeral. Mm. The complaint alleged that the complainant paid Todd a sum of money in excess of $100 for which the body was to be clothed in a good shroud and put into a nice casket and carried to the cemetery in the auto hearse. The last condition was complied with and the relatives imagined that the deceased was resting comfortably in the casket. A decision was made later that the body should be exhumed and buried beside other relatives in a different cemetery. It was then that the box was lifted out and opened that consternation and wrath arose at the bosoms of the relatives. (gasps) What? For in the rough pine box, they found no casket at all. (gasps) Only the corpse who had been dumped in the rough box without clothing of any kind except a cheap gauze undershirt. (gasps) So this guy- Just a shirt on? <laughs> Winnie the Poohing it and the, and the, the underground. Poo. Embarrassing. I'd be mortified. My God. <laughs> but I was like, this fucking cheapskate Undertaker is like, I'm like, dumping. I, I'm not even. Oh, yeah. Look at this beautiful casket we've got for you. Sure. And the next thing you know, your fucking dad's in the fucking casket with his full John out. Oh, my God. <laughs> Embarrassing. People uh, have been scheming since the beginning of time. Oh, please. It was reported that. Todd was taken to the county jail where he was held for several hours until he could provide bonds for his release. He says that the case is a frame-up by his enemies. <laughs> <laughs> he gave this body a good burial as possible with the limited means, and he has no fear of having the case aired in court. <laughs> Lots of funerary news in the 1920s. Oh, my God. My favorite was the first story. I pictured it all. I pictured the whole scene. Oh, I know. The woman being bamboozled. Oh, she did not want to do it. And just with her maid and then her ex-maid, too. Yes. She's like... What do I do? This apartment's barely furnished. I can't do anything. Oh, my God. I love it. I love a little peek into the past. I know. I'd like to go through, and I think I will on future episodes, Uh go through more decades. Decades. Like, I feel like we really got to know the Victorian era, Mm -hmm. but I feel like we haven't really dabbled in the customs of, like, the 20s, 30s, Mm -hmm. 40s, 50s, 60s. So I want to go through all of it. I would love to. Love it. And just looking at the price difference between everything Mm -hmm. it's really really wild and a good lesson if you know you want a casket sooner than later babes because it's only getting more expensive yeah okay yep secure that shit in writing (laughs) and don't spend your whole life savings on it and don't spend your whole life savings on an obituary true which it's time for (laughs) (laughs) some obituaries obituaries babes what you got All right, I have one sent in to us by a Geoff. Her name is Chloe. 
She says, hi, Spencer and Madison, and hello to your cute-ass dogs, hot dog, Doris and Desi. I apologize for the length of this email. Not really, though. Sorry, Spencer. My name is Chloe. Feel free to use my actual name, and I love obituary. I developed a fear of death in early 2020 at the beginning of COVID, and it affected me so badly that I was afraid to even leave my house. Thanks to my lovely therapist, YouTube babes, and my saving grace, Lexapro, we know Lexapro is my saving grace too. I was able to get over my fear. You guys have helped me discover that death doesn't need to be a scary thing and you can instead find humor and joy in the small things. Now I'm going to summarize the rest of this, but she attaches, I guess her Nana passed away June of 2021 with a short battle of small cell lung cancer and it mm and a tumor the size of a golf ball in her brain. And she passed away and they found a letter that she had written. So it is kind of like her obituary. My life in a nutshell. Kay Philpot. The early years of my life, we lived in my dad's hometown of Providence, Rhode Island. When we moved to Ogden, my dad's parents moved cross-country and they lived with us their entire lives. I was an only child. I believe when they had me, my parents thought, we have made perfection. We could never top this. Why try again? Or maybe it was, if this is the best we can do, let's quit now. (laughs) (laughs) When I was 19 years old, my mother, who was the charter president of Alpha Tau, told me I had to join ESA. No questions asked, I joined. My mother and I were very close and spent a lot of time together. Cohorts in crime. It's probably a good thing neither of us kept a diary. I miss her. Over the years, I have been a real estate secretary, a medical transcriber, worked in medical billing, and had a small sign-making business I ran from home. My wonderful husband, Jim, has always been very supportive and encouraging in all my ESA endeavors. We have two beautiful, talented daughters, Brittany and Megan, caring son-in-laws, Sean and Josh, and four perfectly amazing grandkids, Bailey, Hadley, Ryland, and Chloe. I am blessed. I love a good laugh, and I know words to all the songs, and if those pertinent facts are not stated in my obituary, my family knows I will come back to haunt them. (laughs) Observations and thoughts from my life. Don't sweat the small stuff. Chocolate, wine, and cashews are necessary. Comfort over high fashions. Good friends are life-nourishing. And I just don't look good naked anymore. <laughs> and that's it. Oh, Chloe, that's so sweet. I'm so sorry for your loss. I Sounds know, like a funny Chloe. gal, though. She said, and yes, we did include those pertinent facts in her obit. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Who do you have? Well, I got it. We're going back to the 20s again. Okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, okay we're going back to the 20s. But I do have to just say really quick about that email. It's crazy to think that you could just write something out right now and it could be found. After I know. you die and someone's like, okay, we're going to put this. I know. Okay, so my, the headline says, Modern Flapper dies at age 104 after plane ride. Oh, my plane ride. Okay. Yeah. St. Petersburg, Florida, December 26, Mrs. Catherine B. Fenton, who on her 104th birthday anniversary last winter, bobbed her hair, took an airplane ride, and wrote a story about it for the Associated Press, died at her home today of paralysis. Mrs. Fenton, who formerly resided in Jamestown, New York, was a native of Scotland and came to this country more than 100 years ago. She was affectionately known in Florida as Grandma at the annual 
annual festival here last year, as queen of the three-quarter century club of St. Petersburg, she won more applause than did any other bathing beauty. Her airplane ride was taken with George Haldeman. <laughs> but I just love it. She was like a 104-year-old fucking flapper. I love her. Like, fully got the bob, did the whole flapper thing. Is there a picture? We don't have a picture of her. I looked high and low, but that death notice came out in the 1920s, so. Oh, so she was living through the Victorian times, everything. Oh, yeah, baby. Catherine Fenton had seen it all, and I was trying to find, like, the article that she had written for the Associated Press, but I I couldn't find it. Oh, my God. I love her. Good for her. 104 in the 20s, and you're still trying to, like, reinvent yourself? I fucking love it. I love that. She was up with the times. Uh Uh-huh. Well, we have spun in our coffins. We have bitched our obituaries. And that means it's time for some dumb ass criminals. Who you got? I have a video and I have an article from ABC7 Chicago, but this actually took place in Alberta, Canada. It says, surveillance video obtained by authorities shows a woman falling through a convenience store ceiling. (laughs) I love a ceiling fall. After trying to escape from Canadian police, the store owners told authorities that they became suspicious that a man and woman had a stolen credit card, so they called police. When police arrived, the man tried to fight them while the woman ran to the back of the store and crawled up to the ceiling. The woman eventually came crashing down and both (laughs) people were arrested and here is the video. We'll post a clip of it. An escape gone wrong. Oh, ouch. Oh, man. Yeah, the woman. Oh, after fuck. falling through the ceiling of a Canadian convenience. She just got up. She did. She fell hard. The man and woman had a stolen credit card. Oh, he called police. Oh. When the officer arrived, the man oh. attempted to fight him. The woman then runs back. Get her in the back. Scrambles up, oh. climbs into the ceiling. Shorts. And then she comes. <laughs> <laughs> Dumbass. Oh my god. Look, she she finally got down on the ground. Trying to crawl away, the officer uh, finally arrests her, pulls his gun, arrests this guy too. Anyway, wow. Dumbasses. God, dumbasses. Don't crawl in the ceiling. Oh, I know. Haven't we learned? (laughs) Um, 1920s, surprise, surprise. Quick little blurb couldn't find more information on it fucking loved it though this took place in denver colorado i think in 1921 and it says denver undertaker arrested and fined for driving a hearse more than 50 miles an hour (laughs) the poor fellow couldn't get off on the plea that his fare was in a hurry said the cleveland And I just loved it because I love that he was just, I mean, that was fast for back then. He's fucking bucking it. Yeah. (laughs) It was probably like a wagon too. What the fuck? Oh, shit. I love a hearse hauling ass. Oh, my God. We love a fast hearse. (laughs) Just 150 miles, babe. We love it. Oh, Oh my my God. God. Well, I think that's all we got. I know. We got to just fucking get packing, get going. We got King Henry VIII. We got to try and fit into a suitcase. Oh, my God. We've what? got puppets. We've got gavels. We've oh, got vaudeville a- <laughs> set up. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but that is where we'll leave it for the week. We will go through P.O. Box stuff intermittently while we're on this tour. Mm-hmm. If you sense something, don't worry. We will try our best to get to it. But in the meantime, if you have stuff you want to send, you can send it to Spencer Henry and Madison. Reyes, P.O. Box, 
1-800-273-1849, Long Beach, California, 90807. And as we mentioned, we are going to be on tour. We are still selling tickets. Go to www.obituarypodcast.com and see if we're anywhere near your city. Yeah. You can also follow along online on Instagram and Twitter at obituarypod. You can follow along on TikTok at obituarypodcast. And now you can follow along on Patreon. So come see some uh, behind the scenes content. It Take a little dip if you Yes. Like and if you want a little cameo. We got one of those. Yeah. We've Obituary podcast. Fucking got everything, my God. <laughs> we got it all covered for you. It's all in the show notes if you don't want to listen. But, uh, or if you, I don't know, do whatever you want. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> just do as you please, okay? Do it. I'm just here to give you the information. Okay. But we'll be back next week for some more Coffin Spinners. Obituaries. And dumb. Ass. Criminals. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Obituary early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have a crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. (laughs) Judy Justice. Only on Freebie.